The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. This is Unleashed with Mark Morano on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Hello, welcome to the inaugural program of Unleashed with Mark Morano. I am, of course, your host, Mark Morano, coming at you live, uh, and it will also be available on demand. Uh, This is the first show, and I am fresh back from the UN Climate Summit in Dubai. As most of you may know, I've had a weekend show, uh, and I also did the Morano Minute, so we hope to incorporate some of that into this new format. And the title is Unleashed because I plan on unleashing just a little bit about myself for you first-time viewers out there. I am a political scientist, uh, I guess, degree uh, journalist. I am not a scientist, although I occasionally play one on TV. But I've been working in the journalism and media since the early 1990s. My first major gig, aside from campaign manager for local politicians and an independent presidential party candidate, Uh, I worked for Rush Limbaugh, the television show, back in 1992 through 1996, his four-year run. I was known as Our Man in Washington by Rush Limbaugh, wore a hat, trench coat, went to Democrat, Republican conventions, went to Arkansas, the home state of Bill Clinton, uh, and traveled the world, went to the New Hampshire primaries and along the campaign trail, covered the Washington, D.C. political scene. From there, I graduated to American Investigator Television at uh, National Empowerment Television, which later became America's Voice, nationally syndicated TV news magazine show. Think of 60 Minutes, except with honest reporting uh, and without the bias. And then I went, I moved on to, uh, I was an investigative reporter for Cybercast News Service, which is actually when I began covering these UN climate summits. And I also took up the beat of environment, Uh, energy and climate reporting as my specialty, but all sorts of environmental issues from agriculture to farming to wetlands to endangered species. Uh, And that's what I've uh, specialized in. And then I I went and worked for the U.S. Senate Environment and Public Works Committee. And that was a lot of fun working for Senator James Enough. I worked on the uh, majority staff, which then later became the minority staff. And I worked on the, I was the sort of a climate researcher slash communication director, did the 400 dissenting scientists back in 2007 on climate change, grew to over a thousand. From there, I founded Climate Depot, which is where I am currently. And that was now 14 years ago. So in 2009, and now I'm at you here on TNT radio. So just to give you an update, we're, first of all, we have a great show coming up. We have Alex Newman of Epic Times and of the New American publication. Alex Newman is a phenomenal reporter. He's on the scene in Dubai. He covers everything from the United Nations to Agenda 21, to the World Health Organization, to the Great Reset. I think you're really going to enjoy his reports. And I'm, I'm to understand he actually got some really good questions into the Republican delegation at the UN Climate Summit. Yeah, you may be thinking, what Republicans? Why are Republicans going to the UN climate delegation? Uh, well, you would be surprised to learn that they want a seat at the table and they don't want to, they didn't go there to challenge the UN or their premise or the narrative of the climate catastrophe. They're there to say, hey, you know what? Hold on, not so fast. We need to keep fossil fuels going because we need a seat at the table. Let's see if it's working out for them. Uh, but they go every year for that. 
Uh, in the meantime, and Alex will be joining us at in about 10 minutes at the 20 minute mark after the hour here. But I wanted to, I just got back. I'm still jet lagged. I've been waking up every morning uh, in my local time zone, which happens to be Eastern time in the United States. 4.40 in the morning, 4.45. It's been a very tough adjustment. They're nine hours ahead in Dubai. I spent a solid week there at this COP28 Conference of Parties for the United Nations UN Climate Summit. And I got to tell you, I'm here to report back to you. And I have many reports. If you go to my website, climatedepot.com, you will find a collection of stories. I guarantee you, you won't find anywhere else. Not only are the topics unique and the, and the framing and the investigations and the exclusive reporting and video, but you're going to find that you know, that I was this was someone who was on the scene at the UN Climate Summit uh, doing these reports. And I also will be posting, and I'll probably have it on later this week, I also participated in a protest at the UN Climate Summit. Now, this was modeled after the just say no to oil, the Extinction Rebellion. And you know what I'm talking about. You've seen the people gluing themselves to paintings. You've seen the people blocking traffic. You've seen the people splattering paint on artwork or buildings. Well, I decided why should the billionaire funded and Hollywood funded uh, left wing activists have all the fun on the rest of us? So we took that same ethic to the UN Climate Summit and we decided to block some traffic. Uh, and we had some taxi drivers aid us. We had a lot of fun. You, you can watch the video. It's actually if, on my Twitter account. If you go to it now at Climate Depot at Twitter, I have it pinned on the video and we'll be uh, we'll, we'll have it. Uh, hopefully on the show later this week. It's only a 56-minute video, but we blocked some buses and we chanted. And, and of course, we were run off. And we sort of ended the video, our protest, protest in quotes, the way we wish the other actual protests would go with the, with the uh, activists being chased off like the Three Stooges at the end of every one of their shorts. You know, like, woo, 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 and then they run off. Anyway, I don't want to get into copyright infringement here with the theme songs, but that's what we did down at the UN summit. That was what we did on the silly end. On the substantial end, substantive end, this conference is insane. This is the Great Reset Summit. This is where democracy goes to die. It's got a few more days left of this summit before it wraps up. I was there when uh, King Charles came. I was there when uh, Al Gore came. I was there when John Kerry spoke. I was there when Richie Rich uh, Sunak spoke. I love that. That's Mark uh, Stein, the, the great UK broadcaster's term for uh, Richie, Prime Minister Richie Sunak is Richie Rich. Uh, I was there during this entire conference when the entire Western world was selling out energy, prosperity, and sovereignty of their own nations to a UN climate agenda. And this year was worse than most because they know it's failing. They know renewables and solar, wind are not replacing fossil fuels. We're seeing the disaster in the US with the windmills and the bankruptcy filings. We're seeing, even with all of the subsidies and the Green New Deal collapsing, we're seeing energy rates skyrocket throughout Europe, the United States. We're seeing the horror of the green policy. So when they're faced with these failures all over the place, what do they try to do? They doubled down. Our Western leaders are now talking about a total phase out of fossil fuel use onto some utopian promise that solar and wind are going to take over and we need to do this to meet the, the scientific 1.5 degree UN temperature goals. Well, 1.5 degree UN temperature goal. Uh, I, I actually did the exclusive reporting on that. And I reported with the first article out of the blocks, the United Nations 
claim of 1.52 degrees Celsius and we need to limit the temperature and every country's got to, you know, abolish gas powered cars and meat eating. And we need to go after uh, all the energy and coal and oil. Uh, we were, we know from the UN climate, uh, climate gate emails that were released in 2009 inadvertently, either as a hacker or, uh, you know, a whistleblower, we know that these are not actual goals uh, that are based in science. A top UN scientist, Phil Jones, actually said these were, quote, pulled from thin air. It's nothing but a political target. And all of the people associated with the UN act like we must listen to the science. It's all horse beep from beginning to end. And this is what this summit was about. John Kerry came for the United States and announced the end of new coal production. And this is going to be devastating because coal is the most strategic form of energy any country can have. You can produce it the quickest, the cheapest, and uh, and have it for national security points. You can get it the fastest. And the problem is we're now banning it. And that wasn't enough because UN delegates had a whole petition to get the US to get off natural gas. So we're losing gas and coal. When I say losing, I don't mean they're going to be gone. I just mean there's going to be more burdensome regulations, more layers of bureaucracy, and more costs and expenses. And to the extent that they still exist, they're not going to be the same, you know, free, not free, but the free market oriented idea of a plentiful energy supply. And so what the United Nations wants to do is get the Western nations hobbled so that we can then rely more and more on the UN edicts. And we already know Kamala Harris, the United States uh, vice presidential candidate came, I believe the first or second day of the conference. And she announced the US was pledging from a few tens of millions to $3 billion plus to the UN Climate Fund. And what is the UN Climate Fund? Well, very simply, the UN Climate Fund is nothing short of wealthy Western nations paying the United Nations into a climate slush fund, which then the UN turns around and gives it to the poor nations leaders who are best able to keep their citizens locked in poverty. And that's exactly what's happening here. We have everything from the carbon offset program, and this is now being reported by mainstream news sources. So I'm not I'm not relying on obscure blog posts or secret sources or anonymous uh, documents. I'm telling you that this was in the Financial Times. UN, uh, these carbon offset programs are taking up to 25% of the land per poor African nation. So white wealthy Westerners can assuage their climate guilt. This is bonkers. This is insane. But this is exactly what we go to UN conferences to witness and see the sellout. And I believe it was, I want to say it was Nikita Khrushchev, but it may have been another Soviet leader who said that, you know, we don't, we won't be destroyed externally. We'll be destroyed from within. And I think that's exactly what's happening. When I say we, I mean the entire Western alleged free world. And of course, the, the Western free world, Democrat, liberalist countries all died in March of 2020. And that included the United States with Donald Trump's allowing that two weeks to flatten the curve and the emergency decree on COVID. Uh, just if, you know, if there's any blunder of any president that's bigger in the last 50 years, any single blunder, I've not heard it yet. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that's one of the greatest things that we face. So, okay, on that, there are two key things I want to mention before we go to the first break. And that is that the right before this conference, 200 medical journals joined forces 
to urge the World Health Organization to consider climate change as a public health threat, as a public health issue. So guess what? World Health Organization scientists funded chiefly by Bill Gates and largest single donor, bigger than China, the United States government, or maybe on par equal to to China, is Bill Gates. Bill Gates uh, can have these funded scientists declare a pandemic and under the WHO pandemic treaty, which our president Joe Biden is pushing hard for even beyond what the WHO wants, you could have global instant lockdowns. Well, that's not enough because at this summit, the UK Guardian reported that UN IPCC scientists who for decades, since the formation of this group in 1988, were there as an advisory role to the climate. Guess what? They're frustrated. They're angry and they want more power. The UN IPCC intergovernmental panel scientists who produce these propaganda reports every, uh, you know, every four to six years on the the science of climate change, and they're handpicked by the governments of the, each country, and they don't toe the line. If any scientist dissents, they get booted out. I've I've made done whole reports on all the scientists who were once UN climate scientists who left and have turned against the organization because it's pure propaganda. They are now calling for their advisory position to be moved into an actual policy of implementing the policies. They no longer want just an advisory role. And the quote is, quote, we need the power to prescribe climate policy. Scientists should be allowed to make policy prescriptions and potentially oversee the implementation. Does that sound familiar? Where have we ever seen where the science has been in charge? Just, Just give me a moment here. The science, scientists. Oh, of course, COVID. This is the greatest proof you'd ever need. Coming out of Dubai, the UN COP28, the scientists are literally merging public health with uh, climate, and they want the same exact powers that the scientists had. Remember, whatever the scientists said during COVID went. Closed churches, closed schools, mask forced vaccinations politicians fell over themselves. Unelected science bureaucrats in the form of public health officials literally became overnight dictators, whether it was at the county, the state level, region level, the the nation state, it was unbelievable. And now UN climate scientists for years have been jealous of this power. They want in, they want to be able to do this. All right. And I think, okay, and I got one last story before we bring our guests. And I'm going to, I have so much reporting. I'm going to be unraveling it here, unrolling, releasing it here all this week. This is perhaps the most frightening story of the week because people will say, oh, the Great Reset is a conspiracy theory. Who are these people saying that? Oh, let's see. Media Matters for America, George Soros. By the way, I was called an anti-Semite for some reason by Media Matters because I criticized Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum. I don't, I don't understand that. I don't even think he's Jewish. Number two is uh, the uh, the World Economic Forum has stated repeatedly, you'll go nowhere, y- everything you want will be delivered by drones. And here it is. This is CNN, time to the UN Climate Summit. Quote, to be more precise, this is CNN Travel. So it's their division of CNN. So it's a travel website, but it's the anti-travel website. It's time to limit how often we travel abroad. Carbon passports may be the answer, but it bang. And that's the actual headline. I'm not, I'm not juicing that. This is from the article. Drastic changes to our travel habits are inevitable. Suggest restrictions will be forced upon the public. Did you get that? Uh, it's incredible. And here's the, the line I also like. CNN, 
Holiday makers should prepare to change their travel habits now. In other words, travelers, before the change is forced upon them, unquote. Sounds wonderful. That's the, basically the summary of the United Nations Climate Summit. By the way, I also, and I hope to get the video later, interviewed a fashion maven. They had actually a complete fashion show. Here, here I am at TNT Radio, Unleashed with Mark Moreno. I will be your fashion reporter on this network. I got to go to the UN fashion event. They had a red carpet event. They had photographers. They had models. I interviewed the uh, the lead maven uh, of this, and she basically would not back down from the, the Global C40 City Report, which included global cities, but included Michael Bloomberg being the chairman of this group from 2019, IKEA, Google, all these major U.S. Cor corporate global corporations, supporting the idea of limiting clothing to three persons per year. Um, per person per year by 2030. And I asked the UN activists here at the fashion industry and they wouldn't back down from that. Their answer was, well, it depends on what kind of clothes. And it turns out, guess what? You can buy more than three new pair of clothes per year, as long as they're made from like some kind of weird organic hemp or maybe, you know, cockroach skin or whatever it is, then you can buy it. But if you want to buy anything that, you know, probably is wool or polyester or any kind of other advanced threads, not going to happen because the earth can't handle it. They've got to get the carbon footprint of the fashion industry down. Anyway, this is honestly what was happening. And this was the entire week was uh, the agenda setting pushers. So when we come back, this is Unleashed with Mark Morano. We're going to be joined by Alex Newman of Epic Times, the new American. He's on site in Dubai. I just got back three days ago. He's there now. He's going to give us updates, and we're going to hear what he has to say. I understand he's interviewed some Republicans. We'll be right back. This is TNT Radio. This is Unleashed with Mark Morano. I'll be right back after these messages. TNT Radio's Hervoy Morich. Approximately 650,000 Ukrainian men aged 18 to 60 have left Ukraine for Europe since the start of the war. It's a tough spot if your country is being invaded. Uh, that's one thing, and you're a, a male and a citizen. Um, but you know, if the war, if it's a globalist war, I, I wouldn't want to participate <laughs> in these banker globalist wars. And most of them just uh, are. Pervoy Morich on today's News Talk Radio TNT. A year ago, I couldn't afford the rent anymore. I had no support, and I was out of options. I had to sleep wherever I could. I thought, am I going to be out here on Christmas Day? Your urgent donation of £29.73 could help make this Christmas the first day of someone's life beyond homelessness. I'm so glad crisis was there. I could finally get warm. <laughs> I had someone in my corner. We got something for you. This Christmas, I'm here home because my first day at crisis was my last day on the streets this christmas thousands more people across the uk will be facing homelessness we urgently need your donation search crisis at christmas or scan the qr code to give 29 pounds 73 now a hoax about carbon dioxide in the climate has caused a global energy and economic disaster today's news talk tnt radio Welcome back to Unleashed with Mark Morano. Well, joining us now 
is investigative journalist extraordinaire Alex Newman live on the scene. And from what I'm looks at, you're actually in you're actually at the UN Conference Center at, in Dubai. Uh, Alex, of course, works for Epic Times and also the New American. Welcome to Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT, Alex. Great to be here. Thank you for having me, Mark. All right. So are you at the summit? Where are you right now? Where, what's that background? It looks familiar to me. It looks like you're in the press area. Is that correct? Or I am. I'm in that? the media area of the UN COP28 summit. Okay. And uh, how is it going? I left there on, uh, I guess, Friday evening. And you know they, they had this whole phase out of fossil fuels. They were still pushing that idea. But the latest I just saw today, it looks like that's been dropped, the, the idea of phasing out fossil fuels. Give us an update on that and then tell us what you've been doing. Yeah, as best as I can tell on this fossil fuel phase out thing, um, it looks like everybody has kind of a, an understanding that nobody wants to talk about that the phase out of fossil fuels is only for Western countries. It's only for the United States. Uh, you know, the Arabs are making oil deals with the communist Chinese. <laughs> They're not going to stop using oil. Yeah. And we all know that it's only the United States and Europe and Canada and Australia and Japan uh, and maybe South Korea that need to quit using oil so that we can be deindustrialized so that they can shift the, the power, political, economic, military to communist China, Beijing, the Kremlin, et cetera. So really ridiculous. But the one takeaway that I have, Mark, that it's just impossible to avoid, they've been talking about it for days now, is this is unstoppable. Nobody's going to get in the way of this. It doesn't matter if Trump comes in. It doesn't matter if Jesus Christ returns. Nothing is going to stop this transformation they're working on. Wow. Yeah, they, they, it's amazing that as it collapses, both in Europe and the United States, the whole green agenda, I was explaining earlier, the windmills to the solar, they just seem to be doubling down on the, the spectacular failure. They don't really care whether it succeeds. They just care whether they're in charge is the way I see it. And and it's that it's a political bandwagon effect. So, OK, so tell us about yeah, you apparently tell us about these uh, senators, including well, at least one Republican senator, Lisa Murkowski, who sold out years ago. I mean, when I was working in the Senate in 2006, she was always seen as an ally of the uh, of the climate activists. You know, she would have been at the, this would have been the time of uh, John McCain partnering up with Joe Lieberman, the senator from Connecticut, doing his own cap and trade, which spectacularically failed. But you always had Republicans like Lisa Murkowski hesitant, trying to play both sides. But in years later, she's completely converted. She's like a, a Mitt Romney of Republicans. First of all, tell us uh, who you interviewed, what they were there at the summit, what other Democrat, what senators were there and what happened. Yeah, thanks, Mark. So there were seven U.S. senators here as part of the, the U.S. Senate delegation. Uh, Lisa Murkowski was the only Republican and she was supposed to be the voice of reason. She also agreed we need to get rid of fossil fuels, but she pointed out that, you know, there are remote villages in Alaska that still need diesel generators to be able to have basic electricity. Yeah. So we got to do they're the only one. They're, they're the only ones that need it. Yeah, they're the only ones. Right. Remote <laughs> villages need it. Yeah. So let's keep it. Okay, yeah. good. So, so we got to be very careful about that. She said, you know, we got to be sensitive and we got to do it slow. But uh, the six Democrat centers, I mean, it was unbelievable. You had uh, Senator Chris Coons of Delaware. You had uh, Ben yeah. Cardin. You had Schatz. You had... Um, uh, what are the other ones? Oh, Markey, obviously from Massachusetts. I mean, he he was he, he actually seems to be a true believer. We had Senator Whitehouse yeah. here who thought we need to imprison climate deniers. I asked him if he still thought that was a good idea, and he ran away. Uh, of course, he did. But um, <laughs> I, I actually spoke with every single one of them except Cardin. Uh, Cardin glared at me after I asked my first question at the press conference. I didn't want to talk anymore. But um, we'll be releasing those clips in the following days. I asked them about the communist Chinese. They're building coal-fired power plants faster than we can count them. Why are we going to commit economic, even if you believe the global warming theory, why would we commit economic suicide while the communist Chinese are continuing to pour massively more CO2 into the atmosphere? 
the only one who had a, a reasonable answer was Lisa Murkowski. She's like, yeah, that's true. We need to pressure the Chinese to do something. Yeah, good luck pressuring Beijing to commit economic suicide while we do yeah. the same. So uh, it, it really was a spectacle. Uh, the, I, I think the important issue, that what I got out of it, Mark, uh, during the press conference, you know, the, the media is basically the cheerleading section, as you know. But I asked yeah. them, you know, the polls show Americans do not believe your man-made global warming theory anymore. Uh, AP Nork released a poll just uh, in, in the yes. spring showing that the the vast majority of Americans do not even believe that human activities are causing climate change. So I framed my question with that. I pointed out that Trump may well be back in the White House in 2024. How are you guys making all these pledges for money and we're going to reduce CO2 emissions when the American people don't believe it and Trump might be the president? And uh, they, they sent my question to Senator Coons, who answered and said, well, the Inflation Reduction Act, which is their climate bill, they didn't dare call it a climate bill. They called it an Inflation Reduction Act, uh, was now getting Republican states hooked on the federal climate money. And so the implication was it's going to be very difficult politically to get Republican congressmen and Republican senators to vote against this kind of stuff in the future now that they're making us all dependent on the climate gravy train. So it's fraud. It's deception. They want it to seem inevitable, but I think they all know that it's not inevitable. That's why they're panicking like this. Well, let me just say something. I, I mean, I, I actually think what he said has a lot of validity because what the, the difference between the Inflation Reduction Act and say President Obama's 2009 uh, green energy stimulus that we had passed, not only is this bigger, but, and as Myron Ebel, the Competitive Enterprise Institute has explained, this is baked in money for decade plus that's gonna go to all these states. The state of California is getting so much money from this that there's not enough bureaucrats to spend the millions. They actually, in order to make millions, they have to spend millions to get new bureaucrats because there's that much money. So in a way, this was an evil genius bill to bake that in because you're gonna have many Republican governors, many Republican state houses who aren't gonna wanna turn away tens of billions in federal cash because they can use that as campaign money to help their reelection. It's not like Republicans aren't corrupt too, Alex. So I actually give Coons a little credit. He's onto something with that. And that's why Donald Trump, if he's reelected, has such a daunting challenge uh, to do that. I mean, think back, uh, the Obamacare bill was, you know, was supposed to be repealed and of course never was. Uh, you end up government advances. I don't mean I don't mean to go too far into that, but I will say this: Cardin, Senator Cardin, I did go to Greenland with him uh, in 2007 on a fact-finding mission, along with Barbara Boxer. I, you know, Inhofe, Senator Inhofe from Oklahoma could make it, so he sent me on that delegation. But Cardin is an absolute true believer, but he's a very soft-spoken uh, and you know seemingly reasonable man. But he doesn't really you can't really get his views. He's just sort of a solid vote. He doesn't get into the issue as much. Yep. And you're absolutely right about the effect of the Inflation Reduction Act. And and I think that's why they're so confident. But there's a few things that they're not counting on. If the American people figure out what's going on here, the opposition will be yeah. enormous. That's why they're having to call it the Inflation Reduction Act. So I asked Mark, yes. you know, why are you calling it Inflation Reduction Act? Oh, it's reducing inflation. No, it's not. Well, <laughs> when you build your edifice on fraud and lies, it's not on a solid foundation and therefore it can very easily collapse. Yes, I, mean, I can't. Now, Murkowski was what was her public message? Was she had no trouble standing with these other Democrats? Did she try to distinguish herself as the only Republican or did she just embrace the other Democrats messages You know, from a PR from the public perspective? Did she did she try to differentiate herself in her comments? 
the only thing she mentioned that differentiated her in any substantial way was that she voted against the inflation or that she didn't vote for the inflation reduction. I would barely squeaked by. And then she also pointed out that, you know, we've got these remote villages in Alaska. And so we have to be very (laughs) sensitive to this, which, you know, but but other than that, she was drinking the Kool-Aid just like all the rest of them. Well, what I find fascinating, and there's, there should be a delegation of House members. I know last year at Egypt, COP27, we had otherwise conservative House members, somewhat establishment, but still conservative, sort of buy into this. And their premise was they want a seat at the table and they they just want to make sure the UN doesn't go too far. And like Murkowski, we can't say no to all fossil fuels. Have you seen any House members? Are they coming? And is that does that actually work? Is there any advantage in your judgment for these Republicans to show up at the UN climate summit or any UN climate summit and want a seat at the table? Or is it better to just condemn the whole thing or show up and condemn it, which is what I would like. That's when I worked for Inhofe. That's what he did. He showed up in Copenhagen and laughed at everyone and said there was a huge waste of time, that this was a hoax and it was never going to be ratified. and The US will never go along with it. And he was booed, jeered. It was a, it was a great example. But do you think... Um, what do you what do you make of these Republicans going? And, and is there anything to the idea of having a seat at the table to sort of limit U.N. craziness? Yeah, great question. And I was actually going to bring up Inhofe. I was there in Copenhagen yeah. when he did that press yes, conference. Yeah. You could see the smoke coming out of the ears of the, the climate yes. crisis. They were so mad. He just came and you know pooped on the whole parade. It was brilliant. Um, what's going on, unfortunately, we've got some weak need Republicans, some squishy Republicans. They've created this thing called the uh, the Climate Solutions Caucus, I think it's called. Yes. And uh, the one who was supposed to lead the delegation, a representative uh, either Morris or McMorris, I think she was the, the chairman of the uh, House Energy and Commerce Committee. She ended up not coming. But um, the the next in line, Representative Armstrong supposedly came. I didn't run into him here. I didn't see him. But what you have here is a growing group within the Republican caucus in the House of Representatives. And they've even got a couple of senators with them. I think Mitt Romney is with them um, saying, yeah, we believe climate change is a problem, but we're going to come up with conservative solutions. I think that's outrageous. When you're dealing with a fake problem, the correct response is to point out that this is fraud. This is a lie. You're being played here not to play along with the fraud to get a seat at the table. So I think Republicans really need to. And I, I asked you about this years ago, Mark, and I never forgot what you said. If we don't undermine the narrative, yeah. this whole thing, this crazy train is going to continue steamrolling over all of us. You have to point out the fraud that human activities are going to destroy the climate before you can stop this crazy train. And the Republicans who are playing along with this, I think, are playing a very, very dangerous game uh, right now. Republicans have a majority in the House of Representatives. They could stop a lot of this craziness just by saying no more money. Right. It'd be very simple. The appropriations process happening right now. No more money for these U.N. conferences. Defund John Kerry's czar job. Defund all of it. And the whole thing would come to a crashing halt tomorrow, at least as far as the United States is concerned. That's what they need to be doing, not playing along and coming up with fake conservative solutions to a non-existent, phony, fraudulent problem. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like what Ron DeSantis served as as the governor of Florida during COVID. He was leadership. He was the beacon of light for all these other waffling GOP governors to say, hey, if he's doing it and getting away with it and he's pushing back. So we need the United States to lead and hopefully other countries will follow. And of course, when Trump did it, you had Bolsonaro and Brazil about to before they went after him. Um, so when you're looking at this UN summit, you know, one of the things that you know I saw right before I left was the UK Guardian had a big article about the scientists from the IPCC wanting to end their policy uh, advisory role and instead become 
actually implement the policies. Have you seen anything else further on that? And is that, you know, that seems to be a direct copy from COVID. I think the UN scientists were jealous at watching Anthony Fauci and others, but they now, according to the UK Guardian, want that. Have, have you seen any efforts, uh, any, any effort of merging sort of the COVID narrative with the climate narrative since you've been there? It's funny you mentioned that, Mark. I just quoted you in an article that I published this morning at thenewamerican.com on this very issue. Uh, yes, the UNIPCC is saying we want to not just give you science. We also want to prescribe policy. And some of them are even saying we want to help implement the policy. So uh, I love your term, science dictators. It's uh, perfect. <laughs> so I reached out to uh, Dr. William Happer, uh, Princeton uh, physics professor emeritus, who was Donald Trump's climate advisor. He said, I'd sooner be governed by the first thousand names in the phone book than by <laughs> yeah. the IPC." see, quote unquote, scientists. I reached out to Willie Soon, um, one of the top astrophysicists in the world, uh, just retired from Harvard Smithsonian last year. Uh, he, he said, you know, this is so unscientific. The whole thing is a fraud. This is ridiculous. I reached out to uh, Patrick Wood, expert on technocracy, who pointed out that what they're talking yes. about here is technocratic government. You get rid of self-government, you get rid of elected representatives, and you move toward scientific dictatorship where scientists and experts uh, tell you what to do, when to do it, et cetera. So very, very dangerous. I did reach out to the IPCC. They didn't get back to me until after my article was published. I'm hoping to score an interview with them tomorrow to get some more thoughts on this, but very, very dangerous. And, and it goes back to what they're saying with this unstoppable transformation. The only way they can make it unstoppable is if they can remove all power from the voters. We just saw what happened in the Netherlands. Voters yeah. overwhelmingly backed Geert Wilders and the Freedom Party. We just saw what happened in Argentina with Javier Millet, who knows this whole thing's a fraud. Uh, they're in big, big trouble when it comes to the public, not just in the United States of America, but in many countries around the world. People are waking up to this fraud. And so it makes sense that they would want to be science dictators. And you, I think, were one of the first ones to point out that this COVID and the climate hoax were merging together. We see the World Health Organization. They're here. They're saying climate change is a global health emergency, a global health crisis. So this is all merging into one totalitarian excuse to rule over all of our lives. Yes. In fact, right before the summit, about two weeks before, 200 medical journals urged the World Health Organization to take up climate as a a medical health issue. So you could have Bill Gates funded scientists at the WHO declare a climate emergency and then of course shut down air travel and shut down uh, you know lock us down to reduce our emissions because remember they loved you know the UK Guardian had an article about the lockdown saying a uh, covid style lockdown needed every 2 years to meet the UN Paris agreement. So yeah, I, I hope you're right. I just can't believe, you know, Republican, like someone like even Lisa Murkowski, I, although she's, she's, I don't even know if she's independent. I, I, don't, I don't even know if she's in her caucuses with Republicans anymore, but it's incredible. But these other House members that show up. Okay, we have to take a break. And when we come back, I want to ask you just about the rest of the conference, what you expect to come out of this and uh, what, you know, what Americans can do to fight back on this agenda. This, this is Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT Radio. We're talking with Alex Jones of The New American and Epic Times. We'll be right back after these messages. Deweaponizing weather with reality and perspective. It's fascinating listening to people talk about the whole climate situation. Last night in the debates over here in the United States, Virg Ramaswamy, I hope I have his name pronounced right. After all, if you look at my last name, you don't want to pronounce wrong, right? But in any case, he echoed what I wrote in my book about this whole climate change situation and the fact that COVID was a warm-up for eventual climate lockdowns. And I was listening to Alex Epstein yesterday, who I think is just spot on right, 
And he was saying the same kind of things that I've been saying over the years. You see, we all understand that even if this is a problem, it can't be that bad a problem since we have 128 the climate deaths that we did in 1930 with four times the amount of people. In any case, Al Gore, who I've talked about before, could be one of the biggest sanctimonious hypocrites, along with John Kerry, that you're ever going to encounter. He says that the agreement to phase out fossil fuels will be one of the most significant events in the history of humanity. And it would be, because it would lead to mass death among a lot of people. It would lead to, at the very least, the fact that you will not have the freedom to do what you're supposed to do. And of course, we have John Kerry. How rich is this? A guy that got a D in geology in college says, we've got to do what the science tells us to do. Well, science doesn't say anything because it's an eternal search for the truth that is constantly being challenged and upgraded. But these two, I don't know what I should call them, Capatost in Italian, they are very dangerous people. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. As a combat wounded veteran, I know how hard it is to come home and build a meaningful life. When I was in Iraq, our vehicle was hit. A rocket propelled grenade exploded right under my seat. Traumatic brain injury, a fractured pelvis, severe burns. They didn't think I was gonna make it. I had to learn to walk again and live with the scars, both visible and invisible. DAV helps veterans like LaToya get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. With DAV on my side, I was able to pursue my dreams. If my story can touch a heart, it can change a life. My victory is overcoming my wounds so I can help other veterans. LaToya Lucas, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Fearless, informative, and unfettered. Mark Morano is unleashed on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome back to Unleashed with Mark Morano. Okay, we're talking to Alex Newman of the New American and Epic Times. Alex is coming at us live from Dubai, United Arab Emirates, at the UN Climate Summit, COP28. Okay, Alex, tell us what else you're what else have you done? What else are you planning to do? And uh tell us some of the other oddities. I know last year. And Egypt, they had a whole thing with Mount Sinai and the religious coalition essentially emerging into a climate religion. How is that going this year? Is there any update to that? Yeah, there, there's a lot going on when it comes to the religious front, Mark. And and I, actually, I made that the main focus of my coverage last year because, you know, we all know, at least the regular readers of the New American know what they're doing with this whole hoax with the climate fraud and how it's being used to control energy, uh, uh, bring about more scarcity, control our lives, et cetera. But the religious angle is one that hasn't really been explored a lot. It was more in your face this time than ever before. They had the first ever so-called faith 
Pavilion. Uh, Pope Francis himself was supposed to be here to inaugurate it. Apparently, he he had some sort of health issues, so they ended up sending uh, the Secretary of State for the Vatican in his place to read his speech. But this was a really big deal. Uh, we got there, and they were doing an interfaith uh, prayer where all, all these different religious leaders were giving a prayer for Mother Earth and giving some hopeful words. They did a big faith walk through the whole place. They locked arms. You had pagans, spirit worshipers, uh, self-proclaimed Christians of various sorts, Jews, Muslims, Hindus, etc., walking around this conference uh, praying to you know different deities asking for climate justice was the main prayer that you heard over and over again and uh, actually just yesterday went to a press conference with a guy who started a new religion and announced it here. It's called the uh, the Vida something religion where he believe, and, and I, it sounded just like the Gaia hypothesis. He said that the earth is a single living organism and we are each cells of this single living organism. So you know, Peter Drucker, the, the mentor of Rick Warren, a very, very significant individual, he came up with this idea that to bring about major global changes, this you need this three-legged stool. And so he said the first leg of the stool is the governments, right? So the UN brings together all the national governments of the world. The second leg of the stool is business. So the World Economic Forum comes in and brings together you know, the Fortune 500 as a strategic partner with the UN and bringing in the 2030 agenda, et cetera. Then you need the religion. That's the third leg of the stool. Yeah. So under the leadership of Pope Francis, they are turning this climate jihad into a religious obligation for 7 billion believers is what they claim. Wow. Uh, any similar stunt like they did at Mount Sinai outside of the conference or anything else? I mean, and it was, is there, is there truly an interfaith alliance? Or who are these representatives that get together? Are they the mainstream representatives? Are they fringe members of these other religions? Like, have you figured out who these people are who claim to be representing the interfaith alliance of, of the head of each of these major religions? Yeah, there, there's some very, very heavy hitters here, Mark, including, again, the Vatican, right? The, the Vatican yeah. is obviously that's the biggest religion in the world. They've got over a billion followers. It, it's, it's the single largest religion in the world. And they seem to be helping to lead this interfaith coalition for climate change. Uh, another one of the big players, it's called uh, the Parliament of Religions. Uh, they call themselves Religions for Peace. And so you've got the it's like the Religions for Peace and the, the uh, Parliament of Religions. These are U.N. funded, U.N. backed organizations. They're also funded by some of the big foundations, Henry Luce Foundation, uh, things like this. And um, they met in 2019, uh, the uh, World Religions for Peace. And one of the, the the lady who took it over, her name is uh, Karam Azam, I believe it is, Dr. Karam Azam. She used to be at the UN Population Fund. Uh, and just recently, she was talking about how this is the UN of religions. And, and I've got her on tape. She says, all the religions of the world are part of our organization. So you've got the UN bringing together the governments, World Economic Forum bringing together the major businesses, and now this UN of religions bringing together all the religions of the world. Now, obviously, all the religions of the world are not truly represented there. But, you know, they'll fly in some guy from the Amazon rainforest with a, a headdress and say yeah. he's a representative of Amazonian pagan spirituality. Uh, but they do have, I mean, at this interfaith prayer walk that we were at, they had a bishop from the Lutheran Church of Sweden, which is the biggest Lutheran denomination in the world by quite a fair amount. Uh, you had leading Jewish rabbis. Uh, you had actually a very senior uh, official from the Greek Orthodox Church, a metropolitan seraphim. Yeah. Um, they had the grand imam of, of something who's been participating. I forget the the 
final title, but one of the most important imams in the world. And tomorrow we're going to head to Abu Dhabi. In fact, the United Arab Emirates is a critical center of this movement. They've got the Abrahamic family house in Abu Dhabi. They built a big Catholic church with no crosses because crosses aren't allowed here. They built a synagogue and then a big mosque all on the same compound. So I think truly, Mark, this is one of the most important stories. They know that, you know, just scaring people with climate stuff is not going to motivate people to radically transform their lives on the planet. But if you can sell it to them as a religious obligation, the whole game changes. Yeah, I mean, I know as an American Catholic, uh, when the Laudio C came out, his uh, Pope Francis' original climate environment encyclical, they read this as a letter. It was included in our church bulletin. The priests were reading it from the altar. I mean, it felt like this was a new article of faith. They were confusing Catholics. Say, oh, this is new Catholic doctrine. You know, thou shall not kill. Thou shall not commit adultery. Thou shall uh, support climate change solutions. That's the way it was presented. And unless, you know, obviously the Pope doesn't speak on faith and morals on when it comes to climate. Climate does not fall into that category. So it's very confusing as a Catholic. I can only imagine the other you know, religious observers are probably equally as confused by this. Um, you know, and I, I don't know how to explain it. You know, we were down in Baltimore, the two of us, when we had John Clouser, the Nobel Prize winner, handle the science on climate change. Um, but I, you know, I really truly believe that Pope Francis doesn't really care much about the science at all. He just knows that he likes the solutions coming from the UN as a sort of South American Argentinian um, socialist from a poverty perspective. Every, he likes the idea when the UN sings about redistributing wealth and uh, losing nationalism. He just loves their solutions so much that he's committing the Catholic Church all in. Of course, that's not without controversy. Um, okay, so in other, I mean, I, I don't know if you're aware, they had a fashion show and they had multiple fashion events of people about sustainable clothing. Uh, and I actually asked one of the participants about, you know, two, whether they've supported the three new items of clothing per year per person. And interestingly enough, the answer I got back was it depends. If you're wearing cockroach made uh, some kind of organic hemp, hey, you could probably buy more than three new items. But if you're wearing some kind of synthetic fabric, you're not allowed to. Have you seen any, you know, any indication that sustainable clothing is at this UN summit? Have you seen an indication that they're turning away from meat eating and maybe embracing insect eating or just just pure vegan meals there? What have you witnessed? Well, our mutual friend, uh, Debbie Bacigalupe, who's actually sitting right yes. next to me, she asked uh, one of the senators yesterday about eating the bugs. And uh, her, <laughs> uh, the senator's staffer got really mad. I, I can't repeat what he said because it involved <laughs> expletives. We don't want to say it on the radio. But he pushed Debbie and said she was making it up. And of course, she's not making it up. I've got the report from 2013 no. where the UN Food and Agriculture Organization said we all need to eat bugs, including the Westerners. We're going to use propaganda and government schools to convince them to eat bugs. So it's a real issue. Um, but they're trying to make everything into sustainable development stuff. You know, one of the things that has really jumped out at me is just a blatant war on agriculture and farmers. We walked over to the green zone. Siemens has this big display where they've got vertical farming and, you know, the AI and the robots are going to do all the farming. So yes. you know, we don't need farmers to live out on a hundred acres or a thousand acres. We don't need ranchers. We'll have Siemens and artificial intelligence in a public private partnership, create your nourishment for you. And uh, you know, CNN, as you know, proposed um, CNN travel proposed yes. um, carbon passports, right, where you can only travel so much based on your carbon footprint. Uh, you may have seen the ads when I got off the airplane here at the airport in Dubai. The first ad I saw after the education transformation ad was MasterCard. 
a personal carbon footprint tracker. And you and I have been talking about this for years. Yes. They say, oh, that'll never happen. Here it is in your face. They're literally advertising for it at the airport. So everything revolves around the sustainability. And, you know, not all of the ideas are necessarily stupid. If there's a way for a company to save energy on their manufacturing processes, that'll help them bring down costs and be more competitive. That's the obvious you know, sensible idea. But what they're really talking about here is manufacturing scarcity. Again, as we started off uh, my segment with, they're talking about transferring economic and political power away from the Western world, what used to be known as the free world, toward the dictatorial regimes of the world. And sustainability is the pretext to make it all happen. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Now, let me ask you about the city of Dubai itself. I was blown away and you know, i've been to every in the last 20 years every u.n climate summit except two and i've never been to a city this prosperous this clean this low crime this no sign of homeless no sign of drugs no sign of any crumbling infrastructure what do you make of the city of dubai in my estimation it's almost as if this was the 1950s America when we didn't have all the all the other agendas at play of regulations and environmental impacts uh, and, you know, the modern architecture. I mean, this is just beautiful architecture. Uh, you know, is it is it a Muslim authoritarian government? I didn't spend a lot of time figuring out, but how did they achieve this dream city in the Middle East? It's just a beautiful place, blows away any American city, I can say confidently. I don't know. What's your opinion on that? Yeah, it's a good question, Mark, and I'll start off by prefacing my remarks. I can't speak freely because I'm still here, and uh, <laughs> as the New York Times, for, yeah, the, the New York Times did a very good article a couple of days ago about the restrictions on what can be said, both for journalists and for citizens, right. for activists. Um, so, uh, but you're absolutely right. The, the the wealth here, the prosperity here is unbelievable. The cleanliness is unbelievable, um, and I, I think it, it actually illustrates what I'm talking about here. Right, we're we're moving the economic and political power of the world, the center of the world. And, and the globalists have been talking about this for a long time. They they talk about the transfer of power from what used to be the unipolar world order, where the United States was basically the unchallengeable global hegemon toward what they themselves have been describing for over a decade, the folks at the Council on Foreign Relations and other globalist think tanks, as a multipolar world order. Now, this is an engineered process, right? Our cities aren't crumbling because we all just woke up and became stupid. Our families aren't yeah. crumbling because we all just woke up and didn't figure we need families anymore. This is an engineered process by a fifth column within the United States that's trying to destroy our society. Yes. But um, you're right. Uh, I mean, the Dubai is incredibly prosperous. It's, of course, built on oil money. We all know this. Um, and so it, the irony piled on top of the irony is is really hard to miss. And when I'm back stateside, uh, hopefully I can speak a little more freely. <laughs> All right. I, I understand that. Um, okay. So what other issues do you think will be important? When does the conference officially end? Is it Wednesday of this week? Uh, two more days or three more days? And what do they hope to accomplish? I know that there's this whole talk again about, you know, this is the last chance summit. They've done that again. And the idea of, you know, they have to have this agreement and they're going to end up, they're going to announce success at the end and say they saved the world. But what is this ultimately? Is this just going to be another one little tiny step in the roadblock of UN summit? or is this going to be more significant than the usual summit? 
Well, I, I think in some ways it may be a little bit more significant, but it's just another small step in this long process, right? One of the big victories that they got very early on here was the loss and damage fund. That's something that is going to expand. They're going to, it's just like every other government program. It starts small. People don't pay a lot of attention before you yeah. know it. It'll be instead of, you know, a hundred billion a year, it'll be a trillion a year. And, uh, you know, it's, it's essentially a looting of the middle class or what's left of the middle class in the United States and the Western world and a transfer of that wealth over to the kleptocrats running the third world countries that are still poor. Uh, so that was a very, very significant victory for them. You know, at the COP uh, 27 last year in Egypt, John Kerry and Joe Biden played guilty on behalf of the United States. All the Western yeah. leaders played guilty on behalf of their people to, for uh, our alleged climate sins. You know, we developed, we created the technology that liberated people from backbreaking labor. So now we have to pay for that. So that was a big victory. They'll keep building on that. The conference officially ends tomorrow, and uh, the president of the COP, Sultan Al Jaber, has said over and over again, it's going to end on time. I've got a running bet with Debbie that it won't. I don't believe it will because it never does. Apparently one time it happened. I think it was the cop five, but uh, in theory, it's supposed to end tomorrow. I suspect it'll go on to the next day, but uh, you know, this whole phase out, phase down, not mention fossil fuels is the big point of contention right now in the agreement. My guess is they'll come up with some sort of compromise where the US, Canada, Europe, Japan, South Korea need to further decarbonize right. and the rest of the world will continue doing what it's doing. And, um, you know, the process will go on and next year we'll repeat it again. They'll make another <laughs> step toward global tyranny and Americans will pay for it. Well said. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us and look forward to your reports. Go to newamerican.com and you can look at his port report on technocracy. This has been Unleashed, the Mark Morano show on TNT Radio. Thanks for listening and watching. We'll see you next time.